Welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship, where we are all about the glory of God and the good of His people. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and we pray that it is a blessing to you, that it builds up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Those are the words that we read of Paul last week, and they describe what God desires to bring about through us as we navigate those storms, as we navigate those difficult moments in life. And we concluded by saying that it is more than possible that God uses difficult moments in our lives to put on display the awesome presence and difference that Christ has made inside of us. And so what that means is when the car breaks down or when this car stereo stops working like mine did this morning, I drove here in silence. (laughs) When the kids destroy a valuable piece of furniture, when you get that news from your doctor and the diagnosis is not good, when you've been falsely accused, maybe you've been falsely accused at work, maybe at school. You went through another miscarriage. A person you love the most handed you that Dear John letter. Those are the moments in which your faith in Christ has opportunity to, to in, in somehow, in some way, display the awe-inspiring, conversation-stirring work that God is doing inside of you. And someone says, well, you know, that doesn't make going through life's storms any more appealing to me. Yeah, for sure. We're not psychopaths here, are we? God's word doesn't lead us to believe that we need to somehow enjoy or seek out those difficult moments in life, those storms in life, just for the fun of it. And yet Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad when others revile you and they persecute you and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Why, Jesus? Why why should we rejoice in, in life's sufferings and storms? Well, because there's blessing to be found as a result of it. There's something good that God is going to produce, or he's going to reward you in such a way that you realize that your suffering actually was part of his plan. He's going to reward you for your faithfulness to him through the storm, or as you endure the storm in faith, as James 1 tells us. There's a great paradox that we see here at the end of Paul's journey in Acts 28. In the midst of what the average person would look at, they would say, this is, uh, this is less than ideal circumstances at, at the very least. <laughs> that's, that's putting it mildly. But even in the midst of that, 
the blessing of God seems to rest upon this man's life. It's evident in this man's life. Paul's relentless obedience was accompanied by his king's faithful blessing. Do you know how to spot God's blessing in your life? Are you looking for evidence of it? Are you moved to rejoice because of it? Even though the road that you walk, the journey that you're on is less than ideal. Maybe it's downright rough. Look with me at Acts chapter 28. And I want to draw your attention to the goodness of God. And I want us to see how lives of faithful obedience bear the marks of God's faithful blessing. A mighty fortress is our God. Amen? A bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Verse 1 says this, of chapter 28, Acts 28, we are at the end here, one more Sunday after this. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. It had been over two months, two months since Paul had set sail from the port of Caesarea. If you've been with us the past few weeks, of course you know he's on his way to Rome. He's on his way to Rome so that his case could be heard before the emperor. What was he accused of? Well, there were people who were not too pleased with this message that he was proclaiming, this message of Jesus, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that through Jesus, through faith in him, well, that's the, actually the only way that you could be made right with God. And because of their disfavor of that, well, they... they they made all these accusations against him. And they said, you know, Paul is against the Jewish people, or he is against the law, or he is actually, you know, he is against the temple. They said that he was stirring up riots all over the place, or that he was the ringleader of this anti-Roman sect, or, you know, he actually had attempted to profane the temple. And of course, the Roman authorities, they really didn't see any evidence to these charges because there really was no evidence to these charges. They would have otherwise released him were it not for the fact that they were very, very motivated to keep Paul's accusers, those Jewish elites, happy. And that's why they were there. Well, they were there to exert Rome's authority over that territory and to maintain peace within their realm of the empire. And so after hearing, after hearing, and after being kept in prison for two years, over two years, Paul saw that things were, were going nowhere, and he makes an appeal to Caesar. And that's what set in motion these chain of events that would lead him on the journey that he is on now. It's a journey that was slowly taking him from port to port, and he had opportunity to meet uh, and encourage Christians along the way and be encouraged by them. And no doubt he had the opportunity to encourage his fellow travelers and his fellow prisoners with the hope that he had in Jesus Christ. And last week we sailed with Paul through a horrific two-week-long storm. It was a storm that brought grown men, that brought hardened soldiers and able seamen to their knees and to the point of just giving up all hope. All, all's lost. We're, we're doomed here. And it was a storm that ended in the catastrophic loss of the ship. 
It was, it was pummeled between that sharp reef and the unrelenting thunder of those bludgeoning waves that came again and again and again. And just as Paul told those other 275 passengers on that ship, those 275 people who were on that boat, just as he told them, every single one of them survived. The Maltese islanders, they received these castaways warmly. They built a fire for them. It's cold. They're wet. Finally, some relief. It's over. Can we all exhale now? Oh, it's so nice, right? Maybe not. Look at verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, it, I mean, there we see, once again, this, this guy is really something, isn't he? After all he's been through, he's still there serving. Even after having shown all the sailors, you know, I, what I told you was right, well, he's still not too proud. He's, he's there serving them, gathering firewood, putting it on the fire. It says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Can, can you believe this? This is insane. So often I have one thing go wrong after another. That's kind of what yesterday felt like for me. I'm just fumbling things all over the place. They're falling, and I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. But that's no, nowhere near the level of what Paul is experiencing right here. This is the ultimate. You've you got to be kidding me. Do you know what I've just been through Look what's hanging on my hand here. Can you believe this? All this way, after having gone through all he had been through, sitting in jail for two years, spending two months at sea, and then two weeks of a life-threatening storm, to now finally be so close to the end, to a place where he wanted to go, only to be bitten by a lethal snake and die. Yeah, God's with this guy. What a sucker. <laughs> Devoted his whole life to this God of his. Yeah, and he had some encouraging things happen on the way. It you know, looked like, oh, maybe God helped him there, maybe helped him there. But what about this promise God made to him to, to bring him to Rome? And now he's done for. <laughs> oh, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. Verse 4, though. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up here. They're on the shore. Those people on the shore, they see Paul. They recognize, okay, this guy looks like, okay, he's a prisoner. He's under guard here. We don't really know what he did. But when they see this snake hanging off of his hand, they go, wait a second, this guy, this is not normal here. No one's luck is this bad. This guy must have done something really bad. This is outside of the realm of reasonable in their minds. This has to be some type of supernatural punishment, some supernatural judgment that he's facing here. Have there been, have there been those moments in your life where things went so bad that it just led you to believe that the, the problems you were experiencing, they just couldn't be the result of chance? Well, you'd actually be right, you know. You'd be right. 
Because if God is sovereign over all things, then there is not a thing that happens in your life or my life that escapes his knowledge or is outside of his ability to prevent. And that leads us to one of two conclusions here. Either God is not good and he doesn't care about you, or the only reason he cares about you is so that he can go to good laugh at the things he's throwing in your life. Either that or your circumstances have some sort of plan in his bigger good plan. You know, Paul believed the latter. Years before, he wrote to Christians whom he had never seen before that he was eventually going to meet in Rome. He wrote to them, and he said, For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And the skeptic says, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Really? You honestly believe that, Paul? All things. Well, that would mean that the snake hanging off of your arm that would mean that the horrible storm that preceded the snake, that would mean that your imprisonment, that would mean that the people who turned on you, your own people turned on you, remember that? What about the beatings you endured? What about the ridicule you endured? What about that time you were stoned to the point where everyone thought that you were dead? You believe that God is going to use all of that to bring about some sort of blessing? That's crazy talk. How could anything good come from these terrible things? Look at verse 5. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And so what I want all of us to do now is go, uh, see, go to the zoo and uh, break in and see if, you know, let's put this to the test. And the skeptic says, well, you know, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's just going to take a little time here. Just you wait. Once that venom makes its way up and gets to his heart, this guy's done for. Verse 6. They were waiting for him to swell up. <laughs> Suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. And said, he was a god. This is incredible here. This is inc What a crazy twist of events. One minute they're thinking he is the worst of the worst. He's a murderer. He's a lowlife. He deserves what he gets. And the next minute they're thinking that this guy must be sort of, some sort of superhero. Did anyone check under his tunic? Did they see the blue and red tights under there? Is, is there a big S emblazoned upon his chest? Is it there? I think it must be there. This guy's a superhero. And what's going through Paul's mind? I'm thinking, if I put myself in Paul's shoes, I'm going, I, I can't do this anymore. The ups, the downs, the ups again. It seems like God is, you know, I'm, he's got me on a yo-yo here. I'm down, I'm up, I'm all over the place. I'm worn out. I, I can't handle this anymore. I, I, where's, I need a towel. Someone give me a towel so I can throw it. I got to throw it in. I'm done here. I listened to that blinding light. It told me I had a mission. I've been obedient. I put in my time, God. Can't I please have a rest? 
But I know many of you who have been with us in our study of Acts, you're going, that's not what Paul is thinking, Jared. He's not, we know, we know. You can't lead us to believe he's thinking that because we've seen him time and time and time again. We know how he reacts. We can predict it. And I think that's one of the reasons that at this point in the book of Acts, Luke, the author, he doesn't tell us what Paul said. He doesn't tell us what Paul did. Because I think he knows that we don't need it at this point. We don't need it, do we? And if the book of Acts were a movie, this might be the part of the epilogue at the end where the music begins to build, the camera begins to pull back, and we see the main character doing what the main character has done time and time and time. We've already seen him do this before. He's in his zone. He's living his legacy. He's writing out, Onto the sunset. Do you remember back when Paul and Barnabas they were healed a crippled man in Lystra? All the witnesses, they just the crowd just goes wild. They've been shouting, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." How did Paul respond? How did Barnabas respond? Well, they 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 tear their garments. This is this is devastating to them. The exact opposite of what they wanted to happen there in Lystra is happening and the crowds are rushing and they rush into the crowds and they say, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's what we're led to believe happened here in Acts 28 on the island of Malta. We have no indication that Paul's character has changed. No indication that he had had enough or was ready to throw in that proverbial towel. No. In fact, we have every reason to believe that Paul took full advantage of this strange opportunity to once again point people to Jesus. We've asked ourselves time and time and time again throughout our study of Acts, Are we looking for opportunities in our lives to point people to Jesus? Are we seizing those moments to be a witness to what is true and good and show people where their only hope can be found? Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, he said, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Isn't that exactly what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 28? Paul continuing to endure all sorts of unexpected hardships here. And at the same time, he's not only finding himself sustained by God, but also being handed incredible opportunities to serve his king. There is blessing in the midst of suffering, is there not? Peter goes on. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That means let your regard for the absolute absolute awesome otherness and superiority of your king totally blow away any intimidation that you might have for whoever you imagine your opponents to be out there. You got troubles? Yeah, 
You, you've got obstacles. Yes, there are all kinds of curveballs and difficulties that, that may come your way. In fact, that you are going to face. But your vision of your king, it should rule in your heart and in your mind. So much so that living all out for him is all that matters to you. In fact, because your view of God is such, you're looking at every bump, every bruise, as an opportunity that he has laid out for you to do what he's called you to do. That's where Peter takes us. Listen to this once again. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's what Paul was all about. Horrendous certain death storm equals opportunity to lead his fellow sailors to trust in God. Venomous snake bite, miraculous recovery. That's an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with these natives of Malta. Friends, faithful obedience to Christ's call to be light to the world. It takes on a whole new meaning when we look at people like Paul. Am I right? This guy's all in. Are you ready to go all in? Do you want to faithfully bear witness to your king? Some of, my, some of us might be thinking, well, yeah, I, I, within reason, within reason. I, I, really, I really can't go all in because, well, there's a certain risk that comes with that. I, I mean, it, it might mean that I need to step out of my comfort zone. It might need, mean that I need to go talk to somebody. And, you know, when I talk, I have a tendency, just like I, this guy who's up here talking right now, stumbles all over his words, and I might embarrass myself. Or it might mean that I, I, I got to get out there, and I'm going to be inviting people to come here to church with me. Um, but it, that might actually offend them. Do you know the people that are out there in this world right now? They don't want to hear that. They don't want that kind of an invite. And then there's the, what if they do come here? Well, that's going to, it's going to blow my whole Sunday morning routine. And I I don't know how this is going to work when I'm here, who I'm going to sit by, or worse. What if all out obedience to God actually, it just turns my whole life upside down and I lose all of that security and all of that familiarity and all of that safety that I've been trying to stock up for myself? You know, I think, I think those concerns are, are understandable. But you and I have got to remember or, or perhaps come to grips anew with who this God of ours is. He's the one that Paul said is able to do far more than all that we ask or think. He's the one that holds the molecules in our bodies together and causes our hearts to keep on beating. He's the one who set those innumerable stars in the heavens and holds the planets in orbit. Their very existence is for the purpose of giving him glory. He's the one who throughout history has been unfolding his great plan to make a, a way for us us wayward people, to be brought back to him. He's the one who is even now awaiting, awaiting us. When our 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years are up, 
He's awaiting us. Every single one of us, like it or not, we're absolutely dependent upon him. We might think ourselves to be independent, somewhat independent. That's an illusion. So why then is it so difficult for us to trust and obey with our lives? His word beckons us, doesn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Oh, we're so wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's not easy to do. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Do you see this, church? Do you see it? It's, it's right here. Placing yourself in the king's hands, faithfully obeying him, saying, I'll go where you want me to go, taking hold of the opportunities that he puts before you to point others to him. It might feel risky, it's not. This is the way. This is the path of blessing. Watch out, here comes another opportunity, Paul's way. Verse seven. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island uh, named uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. The man, he's essentially the governor of the island here, has vast amounts of land apparently, and he graciously hosts these 276 shipwrecked sailors uh, for a period of three days. Verse eight, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. This actually wasn't very uncommon on the island of Malta, and that's due to a certain microbe that exists in uh, the goat's milk that they drank and poor sanitation on the island. What does Paul do when he finds out that there is a sick man there? And Paul visited him and prayed for him. Putting his hands on him, he healed him. I don't know if Paul knew that this man was going to be healed, (laughs) but he certainly did the right thing in seizing the opportunity to pray for him, didn't he? How are you and I at seizing opportunities to pray for others? What about people that we don't know? (laughs) That might be a little awkward, right? Maybe socially unacceptable. And then we have to ask ourselves, who are we here to serve? Who are you there at your school or at your, your work or in your community? Who are you called to represent and act on behalf of? You know, I think it's high time that we as Christians, we stop laying low. And we stop walking around with these veil-shielded faces. And we begin saying no to our reservations and no to our fears and no to this ridiculous man-made label called introversion. That's our excuse. And begin taking hold of opportunities in faith and bearing witness to the glory and the purpose and the plan of our king. There's some empty chairs here in this room. I wonder who it is that God is calling me, maybe calling you, to invite to fill that seat. 
and maybe even to tell them, you know what, be here next Sunday and sit right next to me because it's that important. Christmas is coming, isn't it? No better time to invite, no easier time to invite others than right here and right now. And who knows what kind of blessing the Lord is going to open up because of our obedience. Look at what happens here in Acts. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Well, of course they did, because they saw this happen, they're going to come. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And so we see here, once again, Paul's relentless obedience. It's accompanied by evidence of God's tremendous blessing here. Church tradition, it tells us, this is where the church in Malta started. This is where it began. And how did it begin? It began through the simple obedience of one man. And what did he do? He said, I'm willing to go pray for that guy. I'll go pray for him. That's what he did. You know, tradition, church tradition also tells us, not only is this where the church got started in Malta, but this guy, Publius, the son of the sick man, he's the first pastor. The governor becomes the first pastor. This is incredible. God's blessing, it shows up in the form of people from all over the island. They're coming out to be healed by by God. And God's blessing also comes in this tremendous provision, this outpouring from the Maltese people. They just start showering all these provisions on Paul, on all the sailors as they're about to embark. Was Paul's life easy? Not not a chance, not in any way, shape, or form. Was he faithful in obedience to God's call, even through the difficult moments? Yes, he was. Do we see evidence of God's blessing all throughout his life? Better believe we do. Three months on the island of Malta, a place where he never would have otherwise set foot were it not for that storm that God took him through. And Paul walks into a season, a brief season of ministry and blessing that that most of us could not even fathom experiencing in a lifetime. Lives of faithful obedience, they bear the marks of God's faithful blessing. And evidence of that blessing continues here. Let's just quickly look at this. Verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as its figureheads. And I went, why is this here? And what I've come to the conclusion of is that I think think Luke wants us to see the irony here. Those twin gods on the bow of that ship, everyone would have known who those twins are. Well, they're the twin sons of Zeus, Castor and Pollux. And they were understood to be the ones who protected anyone who would venture out there into that wild territory and make their way across the sea. These twin gods They're the ones who will protect you when you go out. And of course, everyone who has read Acts goes, no, not those guys, not that dumb statue on the bow of your ship. It's God who holds the destinies of sailors and us all in his hands. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit, arrived at uh, Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, 
And on the second day, we came to uh, uh, Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And as we've seen so many times, one of the ways that God blesses this, blesses this man, Paul, is through the relationship that, that is there with other believers. Living in a world that's not your home, it, it, it is an incredible gift to be able to connect and be encouraged by other believers. We cannot take that for granted. And we need to remember not only to be thankful for the blessing that we have in each other, but also to be seeking out opportunities to go be a blessing to other believers. Are there believers out there in your life right now that you haven't connected with in a while? And could it be that there are people out there that even today God has for you to step out and encourage and walk alongside this week? These Christians that Paul meets, many of them end up walking with him the rest of the way to Rome. The end of verse 14 says, so we came to Rome, <laughs> very just nonchalant, we just came to Rome. And, and the brothers there, they, they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. That forum was about 43 miles away from Rome, the three taverns about 33 miles away from Rome. And so these are no small distances for people to walk and come out to meet Paul and then bring him there to Rome. These people, they have a profound effect on Paul. Verse 15, it says, on seeing them, well, Paul thanked God and he took courage. That's not something to glance over. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And there, of course, are signs of God's blessings here. Not only is Paul given the ability to have a private residence under guard of just one soldier, but he's there. He made it. Finally made it to Rome. All the way back at his stay in, in the city of Corinth, he had written to the Roman Christians. He had said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. In verse 14, he wrote, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In chapter 15, he says, I've longed for many years to come to you. And here it is, his dream come true. God grants his wish. You might be familiar with Psalm 37. You, you probably are if you hear it. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe you've heard what familiar words of Jesus in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And of course, we read verses like that, and we're not, we know we're not talking about Ferraris and seaside mansions here. When we're delighting in our King and we're asking in his name, that means our focus is on him and his work and his purposes, aren't we? And we're out there not to build kingdoms for ourselves. We're living like Paul lived, living all out for God's kingdom, desiring more than anything else that we might participate, might, might have some small part, make some small contribution to God's kingdom. There's no greater honor than that. And so we see that Paul's desire to go to Rome, it's, it's not for R&R, it's not for vacation here, is it? He, he wanted to go because as far as he could tell, this lines up with God's plan for my life. Are we praying in line with 
with God's plan, with his calling on our lives? Are the things that you and I are desiring, that we're dreaming about, are those related to the unfolding of his kingdom? Your kingdom come, your will be done. God's faithful blessing accompanied Paul's relentless obedience in pursuit of God's mission in his life. He, he is, he's all out. He's all in, always looking for how he might bear witness to all that he's seen, all that he's heard, the miraculous transformation that God brought about in his life. What about you? And what about me? Because if our faith is in Christ, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We're always caring about the, the in our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Is that our desire? That in all things, at all times, and especially in those difficult ones, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest, that it might just come bursting out of us in glorious splendor for all to see. That's where our King is calling us, church. And this is the path of blessing. Because lives of faithful obedience, they bear the marks of God's faithful blessing. These are marvelous, marvelous days for us. And there are marvelous things that lay ahead of this, a relatively small congregation here. But on that road is the need for God's people to be all in, sold out ready to step out in faith, bear witness to the hope, and yes, invite others to join in the light of our Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask that you might make us a people who lay our lives down before our King that we might declare, here we are, Lord. Send us whatever you have for us, whatever circumstances, whatever storms may come. We, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to seize the opportunity to represent you well and to extend that invitation so that others might come to know the Savior. Lord, we are timid. We are inadequate. We are fragile. We are inclined to fear. But in where we are weak, may you prove yourself strong. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in us. And as we now prepare our hearts for communion, to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Christ, remind ourselves where our strength comes from, where our purpose comes from as we take communion, Let's, let's take a moment. Let's reflect. Let's pray. Let's confess. Let's rejoice in this great God of ours. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org.